The following message is from the 2018 IBCD pre-conference, Ministering to PTSD. Welcome back. Thanks so much for making it back to our pre-conference on post-traumatic stress disorder uh, here at the Summer Institute. It's good to see that most of you were able to find your way back from lunch. I uh, hope that the, your meal was satisfying and that it doesn't cause you too much trouble in the area of wanting to go to sleep. So it's always a challenging thing as the speaker to be up after lunch. But uh, I pray that the Lord give both of us grace as we think about how to help the individual through PTSD. Uh, This morning, I talked a little bit about demystifying PTSD. Then Dr. Greg Gifford got up and shared about uh, the interpretive nature of post-traumatic stress disorder. And this session, I'm going to talk about helping the individual through PTSD. And then he's going to come back up later and talk about how to help families deal with the issue of post-traumatic stress. So the the first thing that I want to point out to you and to remind you of, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier, is that when you're helping somebody wrestle with post-traumatic stress issues, your confidence is in the Lord. It is not in you. Uh, you are not in this fight by yourself for sure, and you and you are not the Messiah. You are not the one who's supposed to give all the solutions, all the help to somebody. And this can be really tempting in a lot of counseling scenarios, and we we need to remember this for all of them, is that we can try to take on burdens that are too great for us and and do things that are not really our responsibility. And that can, can be really damaging to our souls as well. So remember to put your hope and the hope and, and confidence of your counselee in Jesus Christ, not in you. One of the things that you want to do, the next thing you want to do when you're dealing with somebody who is wrestling with post-traumatic stress is to demonstrate 1 Corinthians 10.13. We talked about this a little bit earlier on. 1 Corinthians 10.13 is a verse that is common to biblical counseling in all areas. Uh, No temptation has taken you except that which is common to man, and God is faithful. He will provide a way of escape. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but will provide a way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. And that truth is true for every situation, and it's true for for trauma survivors as well. For those who are wrestling with post-traumatic stress, they are not alone. This is harder sometimes for people who've gone through intense trauma to believe or to understand. So, what I'm what I'm saying demonstrated. I'm saying go beyond just telling it to people, because you can say, "Here's the Bible. The Bible says this. The Bible's true, so you must believe it." But that's harder for people to believe than than to just hear. So if you can demonstrate the reality of First Corinthians ten thirteen, that's going to help them get over that gap of you don't understand what I'm going through. Nobody understands what I'm going through. I'm in this alone. You can't help me. It's going to get them beyond that point to understanding and receiving the hope and help that God's Word can actually give them. One way to do that is to use biblical narrative. I mentioned earlier on in the the talk some of the different situations of trauma that have been recorded in Scripture, and, and Scripture is full of them, from the fall to the flood to Jonah being swallowed by a fish. I mean, you just go through it over and over and over again. And I kind of walked through a little bit the situation that Tamar went through uh, when, in Second Samuel 13. If you look at the life of Saul and David, 
I've taught before on the, the them as a case study of how people respond to trauma, to combat trauma and other types of trauma, both in a positive and a negative light. And, and if you help people read the Bible through the lens of the suffering and difficulty that life has always held since the fall of mankind into sin, it can help them understand that they are not alone. When they see the story of David, who was a combat veteran who went out, killed people, decapitated them, mutilated the dead bodies of his enemies to get his dowry. And then in Psalm 6, he's describing sleepless nights where he's he's soaking his couch in tears and his enemies surround him and he's he's wrestling with these realities. That begins to help people connect their story to the story of Scripture in a way that helps them understand they are not alone, that, that demonstrates the reality of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And, and as you walk people through, I think at some point, pointing them to the, the life of Jesus Christ as one who didn't live a perfect, happy-go-lucky life. You know, some people who are unfamiliar with the Bible or, or didn't grow up in church think the Bible is full of happy stories of people whose lives were great and hunky-dory, but they're not. And you know that if you've read Scripture. Uh, and, and Jesus' life, if you can help them reinterpret Jesus' life in a way that is true and accurate according to Scripture, they will see Jesus was in, uh, an intense sufferer. Isaiah tells us that, right? He's a, he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with much grief. And that if you can show them that, it also helps them understand Hebrews 4, 14 and 15, that they have a high priest who understands where they've been, who understands what true suffering is. Another way that you can help demonstrate this is to use fellow sufferers. Uh, The Mighty Oaks Warrior Program that I've mentioned before, and we'll get to to meet a couple of their instructors here in, in a little bit. Jokes, jokingly calls themselves a Pokevet program instead of a Hugavet program because because of the connection that they have with other combat veterans, guys who come in to the program thinking nobody else understands what I've been through can't say that because the instructors have all been through the program. They're all former combat veterans. They're, they're all combat veterans who've been in difficult situations, who've seen the hardship, and they're able to to get past the the separation that people can throw up of you don't understand what I've been through and they're able to poke them in the chest and say no we've been there so let's start talking about solutions rather than than just focusing on the problems um, using people who've been through other difficult circumstances can help you get past that 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 wall uh, of disbelief of of not trusting first Corinthians ten thirteen. Um, and then if you are a person who's been through trauma yourself, another thing you can do is just use your own personal accounts. Use the stories of the trauma that you've suffered and then take that comfort and encouragement that God has given you to comfort and encourage them through that as well. If you can share your difficulties, the hardships you've been through, that can sometimes bridge that gap and open them up to receive the counsel that God's word has for them through you. First Corinthians or Second Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 makes it really clear that we don't have to have experienced the same traumas and same trials that we that other people have. Um, but there is a, a certain shared 
uh, value of shared experience so that we can share those struggles. Um, but 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 goes on to tell us that the hope, the God of all comforts, comforts us in our affliction so that we may comfort others in any affliction with the same comfort that we've been comforted with. So uh, I wrote an article called Growing Compassionate Counsel Through Imagination. That's on the BCC website. And I just talked about the fact that if you use your imagination to, to just put yourself in somebody else's shoes and think, man, I haven't been in combat, but if I just imagine the horror of having my life threatened and seeing one of my close friends killed right before me and feeling the guilt of what, what would that create in me? A sense of guilt of why him, not me? Why, Lord, did you allow him to die and not me? Or why did you allow him to die at all? And the anger and hatred you might feel towards somebody else and maybe the actions that you took after that. And just to try to imagine that. And then think about truths from scripture that would offer you comfort and encouragement in those moments. Oftentimes that can point you to places in scripture that will provide hope and comfort and in, in, for those that you're trying to minister to. Sometimes they're not, they may not be as familiar with scripture so the your your guidance and your counsel of pointing them to different places in the scripture is going to be abundantly helpful and you can be motivated and, and drawn to different places through trying to put yourself in their shoes. So imagine what you would be, how you would handle cer- certain circumstances if you've never been there. But if you have been there, you know, in, in a wise and shrewd and loving and, and gracious way, use your own personal stories to connect them uh, to that. Another key factor, the, the next major point in your outline there is to establish and integrate them into community. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, you who are spiritual, uh, restore when you see someone who is caught in sin and trespasses, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, uh, looking to yourselves as well that you would not be tempted in in the same way. And it just reminds us, and it goes on to say that doing so, bearing one another's burdens, fulfills the law of Christ. So we are loving and fulfilling God's command to love one another when we help each other carry the burdens of life that we uh, each bear. So, <clears throat> but that's going to happen through community. That that term there, you who are spiritual, is not putting some section of the church above another section as though there's those spiritually elite people who can help other people. It's those, if you look in the context of Galatians chapter 5, it's those who have the Holy Spirit and who are walking by the Spirit. The passage right before that is talking about the fruit of the Spirit versus the the fruit, uh, the deeds of the flesh and contrasting those and then says, and you, if you live by the Spirit, let's walk by the Spirit. Those are those who are spiritual, according to Galatians 6.1. So integrating them into a genuine, true community is going to st- might start with your relationship. Uh, as their counselor, as the biblical counselor that they've gone to to get help, you have a special place. One of the ways that you can just develop that relationship is the idea of a ministry of presence, just being there, making yourself available to them uh, when they're struggling. We'll talk about in a minute that you are not supposed to be the only person. We mentioned that at the beginning. Don't don't think that you are the, the source, the Messiah, the solution to their problems. 
but you do play a significant role. So, so be there, but don't, don't make yourself the sole source of encouragement and hope. Um, Sometimes just sitting there with somebody and suffering alongside them, weeping with those who weep is valuable. Um, Helping them learn how to go to the grocery store without uh, having a panic attack. You know, just walking them through these things can be a real benefit to you. But then bring along other team members as well. Dealing with uh, almost every counseling issue really should be a team effort, not just an individual uh, sport. It's something that we work together in, in the body of Christ. Another group of people that you want to include in the counseling process is the person's family. Uh, very few other people have as much vested interest in seeing this person grow in godliness and, and dealing with the struggle that they are facing than the family members. And so I'm not going to delve into all the particulars of that because Greg's going to deal with that later, but definitely include spouses, Uh, brothers, sisters, parents, children, anybody else into that process uh, to help this person have true communion, not to to isolate. Then you also want to include the church for sure. Maybe that is you. Maybe you're the pastor. Uh, The pastor or biblical counselor is going to be key to that. That might be you or it might be somebody else. You might be a a biblical counselor working with other team of biblical counselors or underneath a pastor. Uh, But make sure the the pastor or other leaders in the church are aware. Uh, their small group, the small group leader that they're involved in, um, it needs to, to come alongside and minister to the family as a whole, meeting physical needs as well as spiritual, emotional needs. Uh, bring them into that. And then definitely two to three people of the same gender who are close friends that this person can reach out to and call at a moment's notice when they when they just need somebody to help them gather their thoughts and, and speak the truth to themselves and think through this, um, the reality of what is going on and what's not going on and that they're not actually in the moment of an, of trauma that they were reliving uh, from years before, but they're somewhere else and they can really think through the truth. One of the <clears throat> things that one of the first things I ever remember hearing from Johnny Erickson Tata, if you're familiar with her and her ministry, uh, it's phenomenal what the Lord has done through that woman. And, and she just exudes joy and, and, and the, the love of Christ, even though she experienced a lifetime of difficulty and struggle. You know, when she was 17, dove into shallow water, broke her neck, and has been paralyzed for uh, over 50 years now, been in a wheelchair as a quadriplegic, the longest uh, living quadriplegic in recorded history, and has dealt with so many other issues. And one of the things that she said uh, after sharing her own testimony of even wanting to kill herself um, early on as she wrestled with what her new life was that isolation brings death, um, but community brings life. So we find life in our friends, in the, in the community of people that God has brought around us. But when we isolate that can lead to death. And as we talked about earlier on, it's no wonder that people who are wrestling with post-traumatic stress want to isolate because of the things that that their body goes through, the, the memories that they have, the other things that they're experiencing. Um, sometimes with no known reason, uh, it's no wonder they want to isolate, but isolation is going to lead them to 
death and even thoughts of suicide and even acting out on suicide. Whereas this community of true, true love, true community, not just people that they're surrounded by, but true community, people who are going to get into their lives is going to bring life and really help them. And you remember earlier on in the morning, I talked about the fact that why people who wrestle with post-traumatic stress tend to isolate is they're, they're encountering things that nobody wants to encounter all the time. They've already gone through really horrific trauma. They've seen their friends and loved ones killed. They've been attacked. They've been through explosions and combat and violence and rape and difficulty. They have had their lives or the lives of somebody else around them threatened or ended. And then randomly, seemingly at random, with no desire of their own, no control of their own, these thoughts, these memories keep flooding back into their minds. Sometimes it's so extreme that they black out and they don't even understand. I had one dear friend who, who was sharing with me one of the first times uh, <clears throat> he went through Mighty Oaks. He was, he'd been a combat engineer in the Army and he was driving on a van. This is, sorry, I'm messing up the timeline. So he is at Mighty Oaks, which is on a ranch up in, in Central California, one of their locations. And he's in a van, he's driving down the road, and it goes from paved road to dirt road. Any of you guys ever drive on a dirt road? It's different than we're driving on a paved road, right? Well, what happens a lot of times when you're driving on a dirt road is you start to kick up rocks, right? And it makes a sound of metal being hit by projectiles. He said that he's driving down, minding his own business, not thinking anything, and all of a sudden, they're on the dirt road, and the next thing he knows, he's waking up, and there's a guy giving him a sternum, sternum rub and another guy checking his pockets to make see if he has any medications that he needs to take. Why? Because when he was in a combat theater, he was in a heavy piece of equipment that was getting shot. It has ballistic glass, so he's technically behind bulletproof material, but when you see... AK-47 rounds embedding themselves into the glass in front of your face over and over and over again, you begin to think at some point that stuff's going to give way. And he's stuck and he can't get away from it. And those rocks hitting the inside fenders of a van took him back to that place. He didn't, he didn't mean to do that. He didn't know. He didn't even know until reflecting back on it a lot later that that's probably what happened. So you start to have those types of experiences where at random you can just black out. You're not going to want to go out and be with people. So you need to surround yourself, that person, with people who understand, who love, and who are going to fight that tendency to isolate. Somebody who can go with them maybe to the grocery store and walk with them and, say, and begin to identify, hey, they're starting to amp up a little bit. And maybe we just need to go sit on a bench for a little bit, talk about this. Driving down the highway, start to feel a little pan bit panicky. They need a, somebody that they can pull over on the side of the road and they can walk up and down the road and say, Lord, help me to take my thoughts captive. I know I'm in a safe place. Begin to speak the truth to themselves like Philippians 4 would encourage them to do and say, I'm not in Iraq. This is not a, a place where IEDs are going to be common. I'm okay. I'm safe. This is true. Pray to the Lord and ask for things and also have somebody on the friend or a, phone, a friend on the phone who can talk them through all of those different things. You need to fight the tendency to isolate with true community.
Because that isolation is going to lead, oftentimes will lead to death. Because the further and further and further away they get from relationships, and the more they get consumed with just their own thinking and turn in on themselves and, and are re- having just a revolving door of their own thoughts, that can be a dangerous place. And it can often lead to suicide or some other really horrific thing. So you want to build a community of people around this person who love them, who care for them, who are going who to show them the love of Christ and point them to truth that they can remind themselves of regularly. Another thing you're going to want to do as a biblical counselor when you have the opportunity to is you want to help them reinterpret their history through Scripture. You want to help them reinterpret history through Scripture. One of the big things that people wrestle with, especially, um, I don't want to say especially in a combat situation, but in, a, in traumatic experiences that involve other people, whether it's rape, abuse, some kind of attack or combat, is, is the issues of responsibility and forgiveness. Right? How many of you have ever had people in your counseling ministry that didn't understand true biblical forgiveness? Everybody should raise your hand. I mean, the reality is, is, that, is that there's radically bad understanding of forgiveness in our culture and in our churches, right? People, don't, people just think uh, an apology, if I just say I'm sorry, it's okay, that's all that needs to happen. People don't understand the, the true nature of what forgiveness looks like, a transaction between one person and another who's promising not to hold things against them, not to bring it up to other people, all those things that hopefully you've heard about and learned in your biblical counseling training. If you haven't learned about that, find, out, find a good resource on forgiveness and read up on it. I don't have time to go into all of it. But when you're dealing with somebody who's been in a traumatic experience that involves somebody else or themselves, there's a lot of questions running around in their minds about guilt, responsibility, forgiveness. What am I supposed to do in this situation or that situation? I know for combat veterans, it can be especially difficult when they have taken another person's human, another human life. And when they begin to think about it, like Greg mentioned, it, it can be an, it's an interpretive disorder because they start to question whether or not that was a justified action. Some of the guys that I've worked with, they've been in horrendous fights. Uh, I knew one guy who had been in a few different fights, uh, actually doing counter-drug operations in Mexico against the cartels, and he had had an ice pick shoved through his face, hit over the head with an axe handle. He had had a compound fracture of his arm where a guy fell on his arm and broke it in three places. And I mean, just crazy, crazy stuff, right? And you think, man, all those fights would probably really bother him. The thing that bothered him the most, he was what's known as a combat controller in the Air Force. They're, um, one of the jobs that they have is to be dropped in to enemy areas and call in airstrikes on particular targets. He was dropped in in the first Gulf War ahead of the ground invasion, and he was one of those guys that, you know, Norman Schwarzkopf would point to the little old-school TV and watch the, the laser-guided missile hit the target. He was one of the guys guiding those missiles in with the laser. And there was a high-value target in an area, and he identified the target, called in, said, hey, there's a, this target. They said, okay, we want you to take him out, call in an airstrike. And he calls back, uh, there are non-combatants in the area, women and children. Uh, 
doesn't matter. It's a high-value target. We need to take him out. And he wrestled with that because he ended up going through with the attack. And the thing, he said, the thing that bothers me more than anything is that moment. Can God forgive me for that? You need to help them understand 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You, and the reality is you may not be able to get into all the different intricacies of motivation and who was right and who was wrong and who was in charge and who was making the call and all of those different things. At some point, sometimes you can, you can walk through those things a little bit. Uh, a couple of resources that are really helpful um, Putting Your Past in Its Place by Steve Byers has a great section on helping people parse out a guilty past versus an innocent past. Are you struggling because you were sinned against or because of sin that you struggled with? And then did you respond biblically or unbiblically in either a guilty past or an innocent past situation? That's a great resource. I encourage you to check it out to help people just walk through those types of questions because they're going to have those questions. Did I do anything to encourage that guy to rape me? Was I responsible when my uncle snuck into my room at night and did that? Should I have told somebody when I didn't? Those kind of questions are going to be running around in the mind of your person. You want to help them understand them from a biblical perspective. So take time and walk through those things and help them frame what they saw, what they experienced, what they did from a biblical perspective. The whole question of self-forgiveness, can I forgive myself? That is a big, big question with people who are wrestling uh, after a traumatic event. And help them understand true biblical forgiveness and finding their rest in the, the final, complete work of Christ and His work alone. Another helpful article is one on the BCC website by Dr. Bob Jones called Distinguishing Guilt from Guilt. And he talks about the idea of false guilt versus true guilt and a few other things there. I encourage you to check out that resource. But help people walk through those questions. The other question you have to ask yourself, they're going to be asking is, where was God? Where was God? Johnny Erickson Tata shares in her own experience that she questioned early on after she broke her neck and was left a paraplegic she wondered, where was God? Was God against me in this moment? Did I do something? Did he turn his back and Satan shoved his heel into my hip and dove, had me dive into that water and snap my vertebrae? The reality is, is we have to at some point in the process teach them to understand that God was there. Not only was he there, but he was active for some reason in bringing about this trauma. And Greg talked about that earlier on a little bit, that God uses with precision the suffering and the trials that He brings into our lives for our good and God's glory. And He brings about good things through our suffering. Walking them through the life of Joseph sometimes is a really helpful exercise. Because Joseph if you think about it, God, Joseph could have thought many times over and over, and there are times in his life, if you look, where he's questioning, God, where are you? I thought I, thought I was going to be this great guy who had his family bowing down at his 
feet, right? I had these visions when I was a kid. And then I'm abandoned, falsely accused, all this difficulty. Walk that person through Joseph's life and help them understand a couple things. One, when Joseph was going through the hardship, what, was, what did he have to hang on to? He had the promises of God that kept him faithful. And then you can take him to the very end of Joseph's life and say, look, in Genesis 50, chapter 20, Joseph says these amazing words to his brothers. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. You see, Genesis 50, 20 wasn't put there so a bunch of like neo-reformed guys could get really hyper-excited about the fact of God's sovereignty. No, it was put there to comfort people who had done evil. Right? So you can help, you can help the, the veteran who's struggling with guilt over what they might now classify as moral injury and say, even if you had evil intent in your heart when you did that action, there is hope that God can use it for good. And the fact, actually, that they're sitting there with you talking this conversation over is evidence of the fact that God is using it for good. And if God can take evil intention and use them for good, how much more can he, can, or maybe not how much more, but he can obviously also take good intention and use it for good as well. So helping them wrestle through those motivation questions, all those questions are, are really good. But they need to understand God was not just, was not absent. He didn't go on vacation. He didn't turn his back. He was there. He was present. And he was actively involved in their suffering. Another question that is going to come up is, what was the point of my suffering? What was the point of my suffering? Why would God do such a thing to me? Well, one maybe obvious answer is that you would be able to then help other people who've been in your circumstance. You know, one of the things I love about Mighty Oaks is they encourage their guys to pay it forward. They say, you don't have to have a PhD in biblical counseling. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a seminary guy. If you've gone from one, if you're three steps ahead of somebody else, grab them and show them how you made those three steps and, and help them move forward. There's a lot of comfort and encouragement of knowing that, hey, my suffering wasn't pointless if I can turn around and help somebody else suffer well too. There's a lot of comfort in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 to be gained from that. You need to also help them understand the idea of, of the world terms it post-traumatic growth. And when I first heard this idea, I was like, oh man, they're so close. It's such a beautiful thing. I mean, the secular world is recognizing that people can actually be better off after their trauma than they were before their trauma because of the trauma. We have an amazing thing in our understanding, in our worldview, in our biblical understanding called sanctification. So I, I like to point from the fact that you're going from PTS to PTS. You're going from post-traumatic stress to post-traumatic sanctification. Amen? I mean, think about that. I mean, Paul, over and over and over in all kinds of ways, uses this idea that I'm better off now than I was before because of the trials that I have gone. They've drawn me closer to Christ. I am, think about the terminology he uses in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where he says, I have fellowship in his suffering. 
When we suffer, we are drawn closer to Jesus Christ and we understand him better and he understands uh, our, our knowledge of his understanding of us deepens as we truly experience the suffering that he has. And the reality is, is sometimes the, the growth that you should or that you will have would not have come about if it wasn't for the suffering that you went through. How many of you just think about it in your own life? What are the seasons that have caused the greatest growth in your own personal sanctification? It's typically not the easy, happy-go-lucky fun times, right? It's the suffering. It's the trial. It's the difficulty. So we want to point them, point them to the fact that God is using. What was the point of my suffering? I don't know all of the, the, benef- all of the benefits that God had in store for your suffering, but I know a few of them that I can point to you from Scripture and then just keep praising the Lord every time a new one comes up. I mean... There are going to be people here today who will come up and who will talk to me, who will talk to, uh, our, to Greg or to other people who are going to say, that thing that you shared helped me do X. Well, a lot of the things that I'm learning, I'm not learning from me. It's not like I have some great brain that's just creating this stuff. I'm drawing it out of God's word and I'm drawing it from the life experiences of people that I get to experience. So I get to go back to that person that had that testimony, had that story and say, you know what? Your testimony that, of the suffering that you went through and the growth that God had in their life helped dozens more people at this conference I was speaking to. Amen? I mean, there's just an endless number, an infinite, endless possibility to the growth and the benefit that can come through suffering. And think about this. Just let this point seek home for, sink home for you for a second. The greatest good that has ever occurred in all of history came through what? The worst traumatic event that ever occurred in history. The shed blood of Jesus Christ, the Father turning his back on him, when Jesus, the God in the flesh, cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it is finished. He was murdered as a capital criminal even though he was entirely innocent. He wasn't just murdered, he was tortured and then murdered. A completely innocent human being who also was divine, the creator of the universe, the word made flesh, was executed in the worst and most horrible, bloody, long, drawn out form of execution anybody has ever imagined And God took that to bring us salvation. Amen? The greatest good in all of of history of all time, human and otherwise, was brought about through the worst trauma that could ever have been executed, ever. When you can bring that reality home to somebody who's been through horrific suffering, and they can begin to experience the unity and the fellowship of Christ in understanding his suffering and the potential for the good that can come about through that suffering, oh, what a blessed day that is when the God opens their eyes to see the potential of the good that he can work through the worst times that this person has ever suffered. Why has God brought them through this suffering? What was the purpose? Again, you won't know every single instance but you know he's doing it for your good and his glory.
which is, again, of course, Romans 8, 28 through 30. And I, I, I caution this, okay? Our tem- a, tem- a huge, huge temptation of you as a biblical counselor is you know that beautiful reality, right? I mean, you understand that God's good or God's glory and your good are uniform. They don't deviate. They are working together and he can bring that about. But that, and that is a sweet, sweet truth that you already hopefully have learned and is deeply embedded in your heart. That is not a reality that is sweet to them in their moment. First, don't rush to this point, but try to lead them to this point. This is, this, this, the, what we've been talking about with, from, I mean, I've only been talking for 40, 45 minutes or so. That's not a one session talk. This is building a relationship, developing these truths, teaching these truths over time. And sometimes they're going to come to these realities sooner other than later, but you need to be sensitive. Don't jump right into the sovereignty of God but lead them to that point because it is a sweet, sweet, sweet truth in reality. Get to Romans 8, 28. There's a reason that passage stands out to so much, to us so, as it is so helpful because it is helpful and it is God's word. Lead them there, but lead gently. Another thing you want to do is you want to reassign their refuge. You want to reassign their refuge. So, this is true for so many of the difficulties that we struggle with in life, right? Another idea, another concept that you might relate a refuge to is an idol. What are the things that people run to to find comfort, security, peace, joy, happiness apart from God? People who are wrestling with post-traumatic stress have self-medicated in a plethora of ways, They've pursued alcohol, they've pursued drugs, prescription and otherwise, illicit sex, overeating, all kinds of things, right? These are the places we run to when we have had a hard day's work and we just need to relax. If my life is consumed with fear and dread and anger and, and panic attacks and all, all these other things and thoughts of suicide, I'm going to try to numb that or I'm going to try to find something to distract me from that, or I'm going to try to find something that will make me feel good in the midst of that. And oftentimes, it is not Jesus. So we want to help them understand that they can have that refuge in God. If you look at Psalm 18, actually, if you just did a, a, a search in Logos or whatever Bible software you use, or just go to the internet and search Psalms and search the word refuge, you're going to come through... Psalm after psalm after psalm after psalm, many of them written by David in the midst of some of the most difficult trials that he's had, and he's going to keep referring to God as a refuge, as a refuge, as a refuge. What is a refuge? It's where we run in the moments of trial and diversity and, not diversity, adversity. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. But if you look at Psalm 18, I'm not, I don't have time to read the entire passage, but let's just look at Psalm 118, verses 1 through 6, and then a few others. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. 
The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me, and the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord, and I cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry for help before him came into his ears. Think about where David is, what he's thinking about, what he's going through. He's consumed with death. He feels like it's wrapped around him and he can't get away. And where does he call out? He calls out to God and here God answers him. Now there are going to be seasons in life that feel more like Psalm 88 that when we cry out to God it still leaves us feeling stuck. You know, a lot of Psalms have this trajectory that they're, they start kind of high, they have this big dip and at the very end we get really high again back in fellowship with the Lord. Psalm 88 never gets out of the pit. But think about this. Where is the psalmist in Psalm 88 going? Still going to the Lord. They may be crying out on the pit. They may not be finding satisfaction. They may not be finding that comfort right away, but they're still there. Still crying out to God. Still wrestling, saying, God, I don't know when I'm going to feel good. I don't know when it's going to turn around. I don't know when you're going to show up, so to speak, and make everything right again, but I'm still here and I'm still hanging on to you. And you need to help your counselee, your friend, your loved one, wrap their arms around God and recognize that he has his arms wrapped around them and he's not letting go. He is their source of refuge and strength. You want to help them regain purpose. Regain their purpose. First and foremost, they need to understand their ultimate purpose, right? They need to understand that they exist for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31, for whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Romans 11.36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. All of life is about God and his glory. And you need to help your person, your, your, your loved one understand this is their ultimate purpose. Their purpose was not to be the best Marine there can ever be. Their purpose was not to be a perfectly pure, undefiled virgin getting married on a wedding day. Their purpose wasn't whatever else they thought it was. Their purpose is to glorify God. And the end, you, we've seen already that whatever the circumstance they've been through, whatever the trial they've been through, whatever life they've lived, they can still do it for God and for his glory. But God has called them to an individual purpose. What is their individual purpose? It's to glorify God through all kinds of things. Different relationships, different vocations, different ministries, different skills, whatever. They want to know, how am I supposed to use this life to bring about good for the Lord? So what has God called them to how can they use their trials that they have been through to help other people? What new mission has God called them to embark on? One of the, uh, so Mighty Oaks Warrior Programs has multiple different programs. They have a marriage retreat, but their flagship program is what's known as the Legacy Program. It's a week-long intensive where men or women can go out into gender-specific programs for a week, and they figure out 
what God has called them to be as a man or a woman. And they identify, they call it the legacy program because understanding that your life can have impact, not just for your life, but for the lives around you and for generations to come and for eternity is very comforting. It's very encouraging. How many of you want to be forgotten? Anybody? No hands. No street racers and nobody wants to be forgotten. We're good. No, we don't, we want to be remembered and, and there's, there's, that can be taken wrong but there's something good about that as well. Right, when God blesses David, he says you're gonna have somebody from your lineage on the throne of Israel forever. You, you, when, when a family name was in danger of being wiped out in Israel, there were certain things put in place to make sure that didn't happen. Why? Because legacy matters. Generation to generation, passing on something from our life to others behind us matters. There's value to that. So the question you want to ask the person there before you and you want to help them work through is what is their life going to mean from this point moving forward? What is their new mission? It's true. I mean, you're going to have guys who are like, man, I was leading hundreds of men. I had millions of dollars of equipment at my disposal, and I could tell uh, a company of Marines, take that hill, and they would take that hill. And now they're home trying to arrange nursery volunteers at Sunday school, and they can't get somebody to return their calls and make sure they're going to show up and change diapers on two-year-olds. And it can feel insignificant. It can feel like my life used to have meaning, my life used to have purpose, and now it doesn't. The reality is you need to show them that because of that undercurrent of their ultimate purpose of glorifying God, no matter where they are, no matter what particular circumstance God has called them to, there is great significance in a legacy that is left to God's glory. So you want to help people understand taking some time and sitting on the floor with your kids on a Saturday afternoon and just playing with crayons is significant and purposeful. Going to work day in and day out, punching a clock and coming home to provide for your family is significant if it's done to God's glory. Waking up in the morning and walking out the door and going for a walk, even though you don't feel like it because you feel afraid to be around other people, is significant if it's done to God's glory because you're trusting in Him and not yourself. You're trusting in Him who has conquered death and not in yourself. That's significant. That leaves a message of trust in the Lord to the generations that will come after you. That is a legacy worth leaving behind. If you think about it, think about a point of light. Just close your eyes for a second and just think about one single point of light, a pin drop of light. Not much, not much bigger than a needlehead set on a black backdrop. Doesn't seem very significant. But then open your gaze wider in your mind's eye and imagine 
the most beautiful star-filled night you've ever seen in your entire life. Maybe it was when you were camping as a little kid. Maybe it was when you were out on the beach just enjoying an evening stroll and the clouds were parted and there were no other lights in the air and you saw this magnificent starry sky. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It, it cries out and declares the glory of God. And what's it made up of? A bunch of tiny, itty-bitty points of light. You see, if you can help your counselee understand that their life in their own eyes, because they're misinterpreting what their significance is, is not just a point of light, but is a point of light designed precisely and specifically and exactly the way that God wanted it to be in his masterful display of his glory through all creation. That's something worth living for. That's something worth fighting for. And that's what you, by God's grace, can help your counselee understand their life is. I'm going to invite up a couple dear friends. Uh, Robert and Luis are going to join me for a second, for a minute. <clears throat> so these are two brothers who are representatives from Mighty Oaks, and they're going to come on up, and we're going to have a little bit of a panel discussion. Robert is a, served for over 21 years as a Marine. He was a combat engineer. This is Robert. Everybody say hi to Robert. Mrs. Luis. Yep. They clap for Marines here. It's okay. And Luis served, it was around 30 years. I don't remember the exact number. 24. 24. Uh, in the Navy, seven years on subs? Ten years on subs. Ten years on subs. And the rest of the time, uh, Luis served as a Navy SEAL. You might have heard of those guys. And go ahead. And, and while they in their careers in the military served on what we call the pointy end of the spear, um, keeping our nation safe, keeping our freedom safe. Now they have the opportunity to serve on the point of the spear of helping our nation's veterans and heroes uh, as instructors and various other roles with the Mighty Oaks Warrior Program, which I've mentioned quite a few times. So guys, thanks so much for being here. Uh, you guys already clapped for them, so that would be weird. <clears throat> you can clap again, yeah? All right, there we go. So uh, I just want you guys to briefly share your, uh, your brief testimony about kind of where you were, um, what led you to Mighty Oaks, how has the Lord changed your life since then, and then I'll ask you some other particular questions. <laughs> Robert just said ladies first, so... Um. Thanks, so Robert. if you're not familiar with military history, the Marines came out of the Navy, the Department of the Navy, and the Marines were The Men's did, Department. The Men's Department, yeah. Thank you, Robert. Appreciate it. Um, Romans 828. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so I, I, uh, I was born in Puerto Rico, so that's a significant... Uh, 
Both mom and dad from Puerto Rico. When I was six, moved to Louisiana, joined the Navy when I was 17. Um, did a lot of great things. Um, I came to know Christ in 94. Definitely wasn't walking with him. Um, and then I think the most significant thing that happened um, throughout, well, there are a few. Childhood, there was some um, sexual molestation happened when I was really young. Um, didn't realize the anger that I had built around that. Um, carried that into the military. And then uh, with all that's happened um, with Afghanistan and Iraq, probably the most significant thing that happened for me was uh, the very last mission that I've had. Uh, it was a failed mission. It was supposed to be a turnover mission, but it was a failed mission. Um, helicopter crashed and nine men died. Um, I had nothing to do with that, um, but I do remember uh, picking up the pieces from that uh, as time went on. I didn't get out of the military until five years later. As time went on, I started to, I realized, um, just began to identify myself with that one incident. Uh, my wife and I were already having some problems. And after I got out, I guess it is important to point out that uh, before I got out, I, I, I had three children. Um, I was on my second marriage. And um, one of those children was out of wedlock. Well, after I got out of the military, she needed my help. And it turns out that um, she was dealing with um, substance abuse problems, and she was in a really bad way. And at that point in my life, I had been out of the military a year. And that was like my lowest point. So that is what broke me, I think. Um, and my wife really figured out that all I was doing was picking things to self-medicate. Now, I wasn't into alcohol or drugs, but I was just picking things to really not deal with my problems. And um, we learned about Mighty Oaks, and I got there. What really helped me out was the transparency, the vulnerability that I saw with the staff, and them willing, having the courage to stand on uh, God's word to point to restoration. That had the biggest impact on me. Late in the week, they asked me the simple question of what would I want my legacy to be, which is what you hit on. And at that point was a light bulb moment because I was prepared to answer the question based off of all my fa past failures. And it dawned upon me that I had a choice. And from that point on, I realized that it's God word, God's word that I could affect me as an individual. I could affect my relationship with Christ if I could get into his word. And from that point on, every relationship in my life changed, and I just kept going and going and going. So. Amen. Robert, how about you? You want to share some of your testimony? Um, so... I think everything kind of started for me when I was a kid. I don't have a lot of childhood memories, but I remember my parents split and uh, we were, me and my brother and my sister were put into a foster home. It was very abusive physically. Um, 
like the stuff that you see on those uh, those Lifetime scary movies, the ones you don't want your kids watching because it's going to make them, you know, have problems sleeping. Um, so going through that as a child, you start to, um, you know, want to figure a way out of there. So when I uh, finally got away from that situation and went back with my birth mother, you know, the first thing I wanted to do was join an organization that would never allow that to happen to me again. So uh, I picked the Marines, obviously, because they're the best. You can laugh. It's okay. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, this is, when I'm nervous, I do comedy. So, um, And then I uh, joined the Marine Corps. I fit right in there. Um, the only thing that you had to do to be a Marine was move fast, talk loud, drink as much as you could possibly drink, and just train. And so I was real good at it. I had started drinking at the age of 14. Um, and I battled that for a really, really long time. I think uh, some of the most traumatic things that I went through that really kind of shaped and got me to needing Mighty Oaks and, and wanting to go um, was uh, 2005. I witnessed a friend of mine uh, take his life. Um, so... He, he, you harbor a lot of uh, guilt for that because I couldn't talk him down. You know, he didn't want to listen, so and he did it in front of myself and his wife. Um, and then you lose guys in combat. Um, I have seven tours overseas, four to Iraq, one, uh, three to Afghanistan, and you know, the, the toll take the, the death toll takes its uh, takes its toll, right? So you, you get really good at compartmentalizing and pushing down uh, loss, guilt, and and all the things associated with the things that you know service members do while they're overseas, whether it's good or bad, or whether it's out of necessity or, um, or, or survival or whatever you want to call it. You know, everything that we do over there comes with a price, and sometimes it's very uh, heavy. Uh, my best friend also was uh, killed in Afghanistan in 2011, so that was a big blow. Um, and so a lot of guys that that go through something like that to include myself big time was I can never let go of that pain because if I do, then I'm going to forget him and the others that I've lost and I won't honor them. And there's no way for me to make it right. If I go and seek help and get better and talk about it and work through it. And at that point in my life, I mean, I'm so far away from any kind of uh, relationship with God or Christ and, and, if you would have asked me what a Bible was, I can tell you what it was because of, you know, growing up, the foster parents, they were Christians. Um, and they, uh, that was a forced thing. So I just, I didn't want anything to do with it when I got away. Um, so I come home, you know, from all the deployments and uh, I was injured also in combat. So that takes its toll because now uh, when I get home, uh, I was injured on my last deployment. Uh, when I get home now, I can't do the job that I was trained to do. The thing that I put 20 years of my life into is now, hey man, you need to go get help. You drink too much. Uh, you're not effective at work. Your mind doesn't work the same way. You're angry. You're bitter. You're this, you're that. Basically, hey, you're broke and we need somebody else who's not broke to come take your place. So I go from leading, you know, Curtis talked about, I go from leading 220 Marines to going to Wounded Warrior Battalion. And when I check in, I ask them, well, where's my platoon? Where's the guys that I'm in charge of? They said, you're not in charge of anybody. Here's your room key. Go to your room and go to your doctor's appointments until you're better. So, you know, that, that, uh, that just kicked off a whole series of super depressing things, more drinking, heavy drinking. I've got four children. Uh, all of them have witnessed me 
um, drinking um, and being drunk, um, two failed marriages, just things that, you know, that's what, that's what your life is when, you're, when you allow those things to overcome you and, and to be what defines you. When you hold on to hate and sadness and destruction and all those things, it's what it becomes. Your life becomes what you're holding on to. Um, so I, uh, I got told about Mighty Oaks by another Marine. Um, and he told me about it, told me that it was kind of biblically based. And I was like, oh, yeah, whatever. And um, so I, uh, I, I, I signed up. I was supposed to go two other times before that. But, I, you know, I just didn't want to go. I wanted to stay in my mess. And so I finally ended up going up there. And I remember the, 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 the things that were the most impactful when I finally made it up there were, one, everybody in that room that was there as a student was going through similar things as I was. And I wasn't alone. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that verse isn't just a favorite verse for me. That verse is alive. That verse is embedded into my mind and my heart because of just seeing it week after week that I'm up there at these sessions with these guys and seeing that everybody struggles. Everybody has something very similar in their life that they're struggling. This woman right here in the front, her and I could sit down and talk about things that we've been through and it'll be very similar. Mine might be from a combat perspective. Hers might be from a personal perspective, but I guarantee you there's something in our lives that's very similar that we've been through that wasn't pleasant. And I took, I took hold of that. I took hold of knowing that, man, I'm really not alone. Are you serious? Because Marines are really good at compartmentalizing and pushing it down and thinking no one will understand what I'm going through. I have to do it by myself. I can't ask for help because it's weak. I can't go to the doctor because it's weak. That's why you see myself, you know, and Louise, we get, as we got older in our careers, we get more physically injured, not even talking about mentally injured, but just physically injured because we don't go to the doctor because we just want to suck it up. Um, so that was one of the things. And then the other thing was uh, Jeremy was given the legacy class, and um, I just remember looking at him, and I'm like, how can this guy have so much peace about him when he's been through similar things that I've been through? I don't get it. And then I remember telling myself, man, if I could have 10 seconds of that peace, I would take it and I would never let it go. 10 seconds of silence in my head, 10 seconds of anything that that guy had. And then I remember it was almost instantaneously after that, he, that was it. He asked, if you want to give your life to Christ and you want to find hope, now's your, now, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. And I took it, and, and I've been running with it ever since. I've fallen, um, and, and, and I've messed it up big time, but I'm here, and I, I just want to help other guys get there. I want to help other guys find a relationship with Christ, and I think that's what keeps me going. Um, and, and just getting into the Word of God is so important, and it, it becomes alive. It becomes very real. And it was doing that prior to um, me starting the ACBC certification process, but doing that and then just reading and reading and reading. You guys know how much, you know, reading is involved, right? <laughs> Your eyeballs, right? So, but yeah, you just start doing that and it, be, it gets realer and realer and more alive and more burned into your soul. And then when somebody struggles and you finally know the answer, you just, you just realize how great God really is. So that's it. So both both of you hit on the fact that while you're up at the program, going through the legacy program, there there are in particular moments where you're faced with a a challenge or with a choice. When you're dealing 
in addition, well, I guess in addition to those points of turning, what are some things that God's, God has shown you in his word that have been particularly helpful as you've moved on from that point? Or maybe if there's other things that you've seen work in other guys' lives uh, on a consistent basis, what are some of those truths? Um, I think just as important as 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is you got to go back to verse 12, right? Where it says, and I'm paraphrasing, um, Marines aren't good at memorization. But, uh, you know, basically, if you think you can do it by yourself, just stand by because you're going to get humbled. You're going to fall on your face. And I think that that's just as real. Like, the, the more I think about it now that I'm, you know, far removed from, we call it the X, getting stuck on that X, right, and just getting pummeled the farther you move yourself away from that. When I look back, I'm just like, how did I even think I could do it by myself? There's no way. We weren't built or created to do any of that by ourselves. No matter what we've suffered through or, you know, the things that we endure in our life, you you just can't do it by yourself. And I like what he said too, and it goes the same thing as when we're counseling people, we can't take on all their stuff by ourselves. It's important to get them into community and church and all those things. And, And that's what I've seen work with these men who really want the change and who are really wholeheartedly seeking it out and the intentions of their heart are real, they're the ones that get me a mentor, get me somebody to talk to on the phone. I wanna be a part of a men's group. I wanna go to a Bible study. I'm gonna go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and all those things. And then they just start to immerse themselves in it and they move themselves farther away from all that, that, tr- that trouble and that trauma that was holding them back. And I would say James, um, talks about submitting and resist. Uh, a lot of guys that come to us, they try to, they, okay, I want to make a decision right now, and I'm going to resist what I used to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay away from that. But that's really the, the wrong order. You have to first submit to God so you can resist. And that's the biggest thing that we, I, I, that's stuck with me. Yeah, and that, could, that kind of talks about Chad Robichaud's testimony. Chad is the founder of the Mighty Oaks uh, Foundation and, and the programs. And he was a Marine as well. We don't hold that against him. Uh, and he, he had gone through his life, spiraled out of control, and he got to a point where he said, okay, I need to do this right. I need to change it up. And he wrote up, he actually wrote up a, a, a plan, a white paper on how, to, how he was going to overcome the struggles. And he gave it to a guy who was a, ended up being his mentor, and his mentor threw it back in his face and said, you're going to fall flat on your face because God is not in this plan and went on a year-long discipleship program with Chad and showed him, yeah, you can't do it on your own. And it's not just a bunch of fighting. It's submitting yourself to the Lord first. One of the things that I love about Mighty Oaks is they desire, they're not, they don't want to be a standalone ministry. They want churches to partner with and to help out and to, to work alongside the program. So what are some ways that churches or maybe individuals here can partner with Mighty Oaks to, to help the ministry of... of meeting uh, of serving veterans and others who've wrestled with post-traumatic stress? Yeah, I would say first, if guys want to really help out, if someone in the church wants to really help out, um, especially if they're a vet, they don't have to be a vet, but if they just want to come check out the program to see how they can plug in uh, to what we do and continue that going forward. Um, number one, have somebody that you can send to us for about five days so you can really see what goes on. So when that person goes back to their community, they can assist and nurture and continue to do this outpost that we're trying to get across the country, really. Yeah, yeah so what, what is the outpost? What does that look like? 
Um, so I, uh, on Tuesday nights, I run an outpost out of uh, North Coast Church where I go to church at. And uh, we just meet on Tuesday nights and we continue to build upon the foundation that we kind of give them and present to them at Mighty Oaks. And some of them are guys who reconnect and reconfirm with Christ and, and rededicate. And some of them are first time Christians. And so we just kind of do men's Bible studies. And, and all it is is we're just looking at stuff from the Bible and applying it to our lives as, as what it looks like to be a biblical man. And it's important to teach those guys those things because a lot of us lose sight of that. We didn't get showed it when we were growing up. Um, we didn't know what it looked like until we found Christ and until we found the Word of God, until we were able to study it and get into it and figure it out. And so it's just another way for us to hold accountable. Uh, it's another place for guys to feel safe and open up. Uh, vets tend to trust vets with the deeper issues. So it's, it's, it's good for them to come and be able to open up and say, hey, look, today's the anniversary of some kind of attack or thing that I was in where I lost a friend and I'm really struggling and I've been thinking about drinking again or I've been thinking about going back to the drugs or you know, just isolating myself and telling my wife and my kids to go away forever and never come back because that's just what I feel like I wanna do. So it's a good way for them to open up, talk to us so that we can walk them through things, pray with them um, and, and just come alongside them. And I think uh, another thing that's been really helpful too is I know at our church, uh, they have a military ministry. We're a bigger church, so we have a lot of resources, but it's been nice because the guys that work in that military ministry, the pastor in there, uh, he offers up some older men in the church sometimes to walk alongside these younger men. And sometimes it's not a vet with another vet. Sometimes it's just a guy who has some life experience and has been through some things and is a lot farther along his walk with Christ than this young Christian who just accepted the Lord two weeks ago and they walk together and it helps them grow tremendously um, and I think that that's super important and you know I, I talk to the guys a lot about it hey if you want that seek it then then that's something that you know the outpost leaders we can facilitate that and get them plugged into a church or a community where that they can have an older guy or, or you know uh, that can walk alongside them and mentor them and then I know the women's program they do the same thing where they'll try to have women in the church who have some life experience and some Christianity experience walk alongside these young wives and these young mothers, young women who are veterans who have been through just as much traumatic stuff as the men have to help them come along and, and really go forward. So if you're involved in a church, I think most of you are, especially if you're a pastor or ministry leader and you have a heart to help out veterans, one thing that you could do is to, like Louis said, send somebody to check out the program and see, think about putting an outpost at your church. Typically, a lot of times the outposts are led or, or coordinated by somebody who's gone through and participated in Mighty Oaks. Um, but you don't, like Robert said, you don't have to be a combat veteran to do that. Um, the program is all run by combat veterans uh, because exactly what they were talking about. It, you don't have to be a veteran to to speak truth to veterans, but a lot of times they receive it better from, from others who've been there before. And it just makes that jump to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, understanding that a little faster for them. Uh, but if you're interested in considering that, there's some pamphlets at the BCC table. There are some pamphlets on the Mighty Oaks Warrior Program. Check it out. There's also, they brought up some great resources. Um, the Truth About PTSD is going to be a, a small booklet. They're both written by Marines for Marines, so they're easy to read, uh, and they're simple. <laughs> they have uh, pictures to color. 
They're designed to fit in a cargo pocket, so they're small and handy. But they, the guys at Mighty Oaks brought those up to share with you for free. So please take, if you, everybody could take one so that they don't all disappear and as many people can get them as possible, that would be great. Um, so we have a few more minutes for this panel. I want to open it up to you guys if there are particular questions because I want you to hear what would be beneficial for you from these two brothers. Yeah, Kim. Can you do Mighty Oaks if you're still active? Active yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so the way it would work is you would just get on the website and fill out the uh, application, same way as if you were out, and then just that individual would need to notify his chain of command, uh, and they would work with him on a way to take that time off. Every unit's different, every branch of service is different, but uh, the Marine Corps and Camp Pendleton is very familiar with our program. I speak to a lot of units on base about our program, uh, sometimes just like at the uh, suicide prevention uh, workshops that they do or the safety workshops that they do, talking about, you know, resiliency and stuff like that. And I also, unfortunately, show up when, when uh, we're right of bang is what we call it, meaning something catastrophic has happened and now they're trying to seek help because they're afraid other individuals in the unit are going to react the same way. And uh, so with that being said, uh, the Marine Corps, a lot of the guys there, they will be able to get, not even have to take their own personal time off. They will, they will just say, hey, look, this is part of the spirit, spiritual fitness program that the Marine Corps has put together. Go ahead and go to that event and try to get help for yourself and take care of yourself. I think it's really significant to point out the fact that you have a, a military, uh, the U.S. military has recognized the benefit of this program and are actively sending guys who are in uh, in the military to this program. I mean, that's a, that's significant. Um, over here. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that we do say that no one really um, owns that title. No one really, I mean, you could have been outside, like I had it when I was really young, right? So um, you can certainly come uh, because it's really all, all it really is, is the, the men's and the women's program um, providing what a biblical blueprint of what manhood or womanhood is and um, moving forward in that whole week with that. So. Yeah, and I would, just as a testimony, I, I failed to mention that I serve on the advisory board for, for the Mighty Oaks Warrior Program, which means my face is on the website, and I have a phone call with Chad or Jeremy every once in a while, uh, particularly to talk about biblical counseling types of things. But I went through the program not as a result of post-traumatic stress or anything, but at, to see the program and to learn more about it um, and to study it. But, man, it was so personally impactful. I mean, the Lord really is working through these men and through his word to radically change lives. And I, I just can't say enough good things about the program. So. And I think too, sir, that, you know, being from your church, that you and your wife coming through the program, regardless of 
if you have PTS or not. Uh, I think that gives you another resource at your church because I guarantee you in your church there's a veteran who's struggling or there is an individual who is struggling and it will give you the tools to help uh, help that person and the more people from the more churches that want to go through yes we do want veterans and first responders to come through but the more people that come through there's that's the more help that we have out there for those individuals so and then, and that just to throw that out there too guys our programs for first responders firefighters police officers all the three letter agencies EMTs and uh, people like that yeah. all the way in the back Would you guys be open to somebody? I th we, what we have had was um, someone who's come through just to want to see what the program is about um, so they can take that back, um, not necessarily being affiliated with the military or law enforcement. So that has happened. And I'm sorry, sir, I, I'm, I'm hard of hearing, and I didn't wear my hearing aids because I didn't want to look as old as Luis, but um, <laughs> did you say that you were from the prison system? Okay, yeah. So we've done we've done a, um, a program in the prison before, and it's been very successful. And uh, one of the guys that uh, facilitates that for us, he was in prison for I think eighteen or twenty years, and he got out and he was you know saved while he was in prison, and he's doing good things. So we can talk offline if you would like, and I can I can talk to you about that. Copyright two thousand eighteen IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available on our app and at ibcd.org.